This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. In the funny new mockumentary theater camp, a summer camp for musical theater kids falls on hard times when its founder slips into a coma, leaving the future of the jazz-handy institution uncertain. Some dangers come from outside. There's a snooty rival camp looking to buy out the home away from home for Sondheim-loving misfits. But the camp is also riven by internal strife between its quirky instructors. I'm Linda Holmes. And I'm Glenn Weldon. And today we're talking about the movie Theater Camp on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. Here with me and Linda today is our fellow co-host and lapsed theater kid, reformed <laughs> theater kid, Aisha Harris. Hey, Aisha. Oh, what a beautiful morning it is, Glenn and Linda. There you go. There you go. <laughs> All right. Theater camp takes place at the fictional Adirondacks, a scrappy, underfunded upstate New York institution where parents dump their precociously talented children every summer to sing and dance and act and just be themselves, which is to say to be weird, but with zazz. Ben Platt and Molly Gordon play Amos and Rebecca Diane, two codependent instructors who produce an original work of dubious quality for the kids to put on every year. American Vandal's Jimmy Tatro plays Troy, the business influencer son of the camp's founder. He reluctantly takes over running the financially insolvent camp, despite not knowing a chasse from a kickball change. Noah Galvin plays Glenn, the camp's put-upon stage manager, who's hiding a secret yearning for the spotlight. Galvin, Gordon, and Platt wrote the film along with Nick Lieberman, and Lieberman and Gordon directed it. Theater Camp both skewers and glorifies the love of theater. It's filled with kids singing their guts out and in-jokes that are made for anyone who's ever corrected you when you mistakenly refer to a cast album as a soundtrack. (laughs) I know. This movie is out in theaters in New York and L.A. this weekend and will open in more cities next week. Aisha, strap on your tap shoes. What'd you think? Well, as you noted, I am a lapsed theater kid. I also got a degree in theater, but I actually only went to theater camp once. And by then I was 15 years old because my parents were not trying to let me go to camp before I was you know, old enough to have my own cell phone. Mm-hmm. But this movie kind of captures how incredibly nerdy the theater camp scene is. And I was here for it. I think that this is very much a the type of thing that might be you know, your mileage may vary depending on how much you appreciate theater or enjoy theater. The mockumentary style is a little bit, it's a little, it's a little stale. I mean, some mm-hmm. things can get away with it today, like Abbott Elementary. Mm-hmm. But, you know, this is not, in my opinion, going to touch any kind of Christopher Guest peaks. Sure. But I really did enjoy it because there are so many jokes that just kind of land and it really gets at this weirdness about theater, the weirdness of kids who are often playing characters way older than they are in real life. And so there's one scene where they're trying to cast the part for Damn Yankees, the part of Lola, the sort of (laughs) the minxy devil's advocate in that show. And they're trying to, they're debating over whether one of the kids who's probably no more than like 13 or 14 
like if she's too virginal for that role. And I'm sorry, I thought it was hilarious as someone who, when I was 12 years old, was definitely probably doing some really inappropriate dance moves to Simply Irresistible in my dance competition group. Sure. So it totally resonated with me. I really enjoyed it. And I think that if you have had any experience as a kid doing theater, you will probably appreciate what this movie is trying to do. Oh, definitely. I mean, there's always a dependable app to be found in watching some adorable tykes and fake mustaches singing about their bitter divorces. And their cocaine addictions. <laughs> now, Linda, you were not a theater kid, but you were an acapella teen, right? That kind of shares some DNA here. What'd you think? I was. And in fairness, although I did not go to theater camp, I did go to music camp mm-hmm. for four summers. <laughs> and we did musicals, including originals sure. written by the people running the camp. <laughs> I think it really gets at the weirdness of that scene. It's not just that the kids are like overinvested in theater. It's like the, as I said, the curiosity of like, when I was in original musicals at music camp, one time I played Goldilocks's uh-huh. mother and the other time I played a bird. And you found the feline. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> range, that's called range. But at the same time, like those experiences I now look back on and to some degree, I find them a little silly. Uh-huh. But I also consider them to have been really formative for me. And I will say I I had a little bit of discomfort with some of the stuff like what Aisha was talking about with damn Yankees. I was like, oh, this is such an inappropriate conversation. But I really did appreciate with the kids. This is a genuinely, and I use this word advisedly, diverse bunch of kids. Sure. And I appreciated the fact that they're not all pretty Hollywood looking kids. There is a genuine mix of body types. There is racial diversity. There is kind of gender presentation diversity. I appreciated the fact that this wasn't just a bunch of kids who look like exactly the people that you would expect Hollywood to embrace most easily. Like they were kids who to me, like, yeah, this is kind of what theater camp is like. Yep. <laughs> I agree with Aisha that it obviously reminds you of Waiting for Guffman in particular and some of the other Christopher Guest stuff. I do think there's a little bit more, you know, character relationship stuff here. Sure. Between, you know, the Ben Platt character, Amos, and the Molly Gordon character, Rebecca Diane. It's like a, a little bit of an interesting story about kind of friends – being invested in something and growing together or not. And let me just say a word about this Jimmy Tatro here. (laughs) This guy basically is playing a very similar tone to what he did in the first season of American Vandal. And he is better at this than anybody I think that I have ever seen taking a guy like this who is the most readily dislikable person in a movie like this for a lot of people. He's the jock in a bunch of theater kids. He's the kind of traditionally high-status person in a bunch of traditionally kind of outcast-feeling people. Which means the straight plays are going to have to be acoustic, uh, which is actually how they do it on Broadway. Could I just cut you off? Real quick, it seems like you got a pretty good handle on this. So I'm just going to take understanding a word you're saying off my list and let you take it from here, brother. He is so good at taking a guy like this and making him sympathetic and interesting. I, I love him. Yeah. 
We've all mentioned the Christopher Guest movies, and we're not alone. The filmmakers have mentioned the Christopher Guest movies and saying what they're inspired by and what they're reaching for, particularly Guffman, which has its DNA all over this thing. Look, I'm here for this movie. It does exactly what it sets out to do. Making fun of theater people is a way to this man's heart, especially when it's this knowing and this intimate. I mean, the calls are so clearly coming from inside the house. There's the specificity that they approach this with because both Platt and Gordon, you know, he has said he was in youth theater programs and she went to theater camp. So they live this life. And in the movie, we see video footage of what I'm pretty sure is them performing as kids. But I wonder if that same familiarity might not cause them to be holding back a little. I did think there was a sense of this movie pulling its punches. And again, the thing about the Christopher Guest films, when you see one, you know immediately that he is not pulling any punches. He is mocking these characters. His characters are buffoons. They exist to be laughed at. He is clearly coming from a place of an outsider who stumbled upon this wacky little weird niche of, of people, this community of whether it's a dog show or community theater or whatever. And he's going to find the ridiculousness in it. And he's going to ridicule it. Yes. Here, they find the ridiculous, but they so clearly love everything that's ridiculous about it. And maybe that works better because it's about kids and you can't really take a burn it down and salt the earth approach. Maybe that wouldn't work. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that had this been like a theater camp for adults or older kids, like, you know, teenagers or college students, that would probably be a little bit different. But I do think that it could also just be a matter of taste, right? I think there's good things about the Christopher Guest approach, and I think there are good things about this approach. And what I like about this approach is that there is that sense of just knowing oh, we are making fun of this, but we can because we are in this, like we understand this. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's Ben Platt, and to your point, Linda, about the kids looking like kids would look like and not like these very Hollywood versions of kids. I do think that is a credit also to the fact that Ben Platt and Molly Gordon are behind this. And to me, it enhances the storytelling. And we haven't even talked about like part of the plot is that Molly Gordon and Ben Platt's characters are putting together a tribute to Joan, uh, played by Amy Sedaris. Yep. At the end, when they do the performance, I was actually surprised that it was quite good and quite entertaining. Uh-huh. It's wholesome, but also it does have a little bit of punch because, yeah. you know, there are those moments where it's it's not just about, you know, this wholesome thing, but also about kids who are on the cusp of becoming adults and yeah. <laughs> sometimes wading into that uh, pool, you know? Yeah. Christopher Guest, I think, he's not obviously an outsider to theater people. Sure. But I think he's looking at this Mm -hmm. from some distance. This is made with no distance. This is made with, this is who we still are. This is who we embrace being. And these are a bunch of, honestly, in many cases, in-jokes that some people will get and other people won't. But I think that's why, you know, for theater people like this, they're always going to give you that super earnest Mm -hmm. finale, man. (laughs) Especially with a bunch of kids. Like when I was at music camp, like we sang, I sing the body electric from fame, which is like this whole song about like finding yourself. And when they would give like the chorus, the opportunity to do a song like that about finding yourself, we all just wildly over attached to it in this certain way. And like, so I think the like super sincere ending of this movie kind of has to be there for it to be of this community and not at it because the finale of the movie feels very much like the finale of a show. And I think in that way, you know, it's true to itself. Absolutely. Because the worry you have when so much 
in the plot of this film is depending on that finale is, are we going to get the studio 60 problem where the thing itself is not that good mm-hmm, and they think it mm-hmm. is so much is riding on that musical uh, that comes at the end, both within the story of the film and also for the film to work for us, the audience, it has to transcend right in the way the theater does. It has to lift you out. It has, it has to also still be funny and believably, you know, low rent, and it has to be really try hard. Yeah. It has to knit that circle or whatever. And it does. It really, if you find yourself getting impatient at any point in this film, because you think, okay, they're not hitting as hard as they could, just wait for that finale because it works. It works yeah, so hard. Yeah. Yeah. It checks all those boxes. I will say, I, I want to warn people that if you see like Amy Sedaris, like she's literally kind of more of a cameo than anything else, which is kind of, for me, was kind of disappointing yeah. going into this. And I did wonder, you know, what would this film might have looked like had she been a stronger presence? Because she has that like extra edge, yeah. I think, that, you know, some people might be going into this hoping for, like you're talking about, Glenn. And her comedy is just absurdist to the nth degree and the fact that she is like only in it at the very beginning and very end for like a hot second was for me a little disappointing but even with all of that I wrote down so many quotes and so many moments and the moment where there's an EDM version of give my regards to Broadway Uh at the mixer loved that I don't know it just made me really really happy and made my inner theater kid just feel so full of joy yeah yeah I mean they are definitely hitting some very familiar notes here. As we said, you know, there's the story of like, you know, are you going to lose the camp? Is the camp in trouble? We all got to get together and save the camp. And if you don't watch the beginning of this and think eventually we're going to get into a story about like, save the camp. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's where we're going. Yes, that's where this movie was always going to go. And I think in this case, they really get away with it because of how well it's executed. And I think in terms of what you say, Aisha, about... Amy Sedaris potentially having brought a little more bite. One of the things I think is interesting about this project is that Ben Platt, particularly for people who saw him in Dear Evan Hansen, you know, on stage or in the kind of much maligned Mm. movie, I think (laughs) people associate him with a very like quiver lipped, intensely emotional, uber sincere kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And in this, I really think from both him and Molly Gordon, these are very loving but very pointed portrayals of these particular people. He's the head of drama, she's the head of music. We only have three weeks to create a masterpiece. It's on you now, it's up to you. Mm-hmm. So that's on your shoulders as well as Joan's well-being and her legacy, all on you. But you so deserve it on every level. You guys are so talented, so unbelievable. This will break you. This will fully destroy you. Congratulations on being the most talented kids at camp. They both are absolutely unafraid of making these characters quite ridiculous at different times. And interestingly, both, I would say, Troy and then also Glenn, who's the character who's played by Noah Galvin, who I think is wonderful in this, sort of emerge as maybe a little more heroic than Mm -hmm. your alleged heroes. In a way, the outsiders of this camp are... Glenn because he's a stage manager and Troy because he's a jock. Mm -hmm. So in a way, at a theater camp, the outsider is not the theater person, but the non-theater person. Yeah. I really liked how the Noah Galvin stuff plays out. He really is great. I love him. (laughs) 
Well, as you can tell, we kind of dug it. Tell us what you think about Theater Camp. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PCHH. Up next, what is making us happy this week? This message comes from NPR sponsor Squarespace. Kickstart or update written content on any website, product description, or email with Squarespace AI, generating instant, personalized results that know and show your brand identity. Explain what your site is about, choose your tone, and enter what you need to get short or long-form text. No matter the placement, Squarespace AI makes it easier to go live, stand out, and succeed online. Use code HAPPYHOUR to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mattress Firm. How do you sleep at night? No matter what might be keeping you up, Mattress Firm can help anyone sleep. Mattress Firm will find you the right mattress from a wide selection of top brands at every budget. Plus, if you see a lower price somewhere else, they'll match it up to 120 nights with their low price guarantee. Get matched at Mattress Firm's Memorial Day sale and sleep at night. Restrictions apply. See mattressfirm.com or store for details. Humans are kind of overrated. Over on Shortwave, a science podcast, we're only kind of kidding. We're bringing you the wondrous world of animal science to your daily life. From queer animal love stories to songbird memories, we're showing you how critter knowledge informs human science. Listen now to Shortwave, a podcast from NPR. Now it is time for our favorite segment of this week and every week. What is making us happy this week? Aisha, what is making you happy this week? Fly in a Boss is a duo of two young women who are quickly going viral. They are made up of Falion and Bobby. They met in music school, apparently, and just became best friends. And you can absolutely tell from the music that they make that they just kind of seem in sync. And they recently, in the last like month and a half or so, have gone viral for one of their really awesome songs, You Wish. And it's kind of a classic sort of social media story of this moment where they started by filming these lyric videos for this one verse of the song You Wish, where they are just running while mouthing the lyrics. You know, it's very simple. But since then, it's turned into a whole thing where Mm -hmm. they're having their fans tell them where to go running next. And so they've run at the Hollywood Walk of Fame, Disneyland, a grocery store, a gym, a McDonald's. And as they're doing this, they are running with like people just bumping people out of the way, but somehow they do it very smoothly and they manage to make it look cool, but also amazing. Um, also a shout out to their videographer, Evan Blum, who apparently, I don't know how he's doing this. I, I want to figure it out, but he's running with them and the whole time and they're just running towards the camera. So I actually just want to play a little clip of You Wish so you can get a sense of their lyricism and just how fun they are. I'm about to sit again. I said I love you to that man, but I'm not feeling it. I'm made of sugar, spice, connect, cologne, and cinnamon. Me and my bestie are the same like a synonym. So that's Fly on a Boss, and the song is You Wish. Go check their videos out all over Instagram and TikTok. Great. I think even I have seen these people running. Even I. It's reached even me. You know, they've gotten uh, support, like, Shout outs from Missy Elliott, Lupita Nyong'o did a did like it's it's gone fully viral. So Hollywood is fully in on it. Ringing endorsement. Okay, thank you very much, Aisha. Linda, what is making you happy this week? Well, uh, the current season of Project Runway is an all star season. As you may know, Project Runway has had several seasons of all stars that they did as kind of a separate spin off show, different hosts, different 
stuff, different mentor. Mm -hmm. But now they're doing a regular Project Runway season that involves bringing back a lot of people, going all the way back to, and I, I respect them for this, going all the way back to the first season, which... A lot of shows, when they do an all-star season, they'll kind of stick to recent people. Mm -hmm. But they went all the way back, and there were a couple of season one designers. And, you know, I think it's very cool. It got interestingly tense in the most recent one that I watched. It got kind of stressful because I think one thing that happens is that people are all older now, and they kind of mm -hmm. know how these things work. And they get more frustrated when they start to go down a path of, like, people feeling like something is just nonsense. I'm going to say mm -hmm. nonsense. Mm -hmm. I mean, this show has now been on for so long, almost 20 years, that there's this tension between people who have been on the show a long, long time ago and people who have been on it more recently because they see it as a very different phenomenon. Mm -hmm. So it's very, very interesting to me how it is playing out so far. As I said, it got a little tense in the most recent one. Uh, I'm waiting to see what happens in the next one. I've been fascinated by it, and it has it has motivated me to go back and watch some old seasons of Project Runway, all of which, by the way, are now available on Peacock, which wasn't true for a long time. That's true. And okay. I, I'll tell you, I went back to season one, and they were making some shiny, shiny clothes in season one. A lot of silk charmeuse, baby. <laughs> That's great. I'm very, very curious. Well... What's making me happy this week? Well, happy. I mean, what I'm paying attention to this week, you know, pride may be over, but spite is forever. I've said it many times. <laughs> and if you were one of many folks out there who are anxious and angry about the recent wave of anti-queer legislation kind of sweeping the country right now, let me recommend a bunch of books that have come out just in the last couple of months that speak directly to the power of representation, queer representation in media. There is, of course, friend of the show, Travel Anderson's book, We See Each Other, which we highlighted uh, last week. But there's also Kyle Turner's The Queer Film Guide, and that walks you through a hundred films in the international queer canon in a very smart, lively, and really insightful way. There's also Manuel Betancourt's The Male Gazed, G-A-Z-E-D, which is a series of really searching and personal essays about pop culture's role in queer desire, in his queer desire specifically. And finally, there's Honey, I'm Homo, which is a great title, by Matt Baum. And that is a kind of mirror to Kyle Turner's book because instead of it's about TV instead of movies. And it's about how something as rigid and formulaic as the American sitcom can still find room and has found room to speak to queerness, uh, sometimes in very coded ways over the years. So, you know, in this current cultural landscape, it is just nice to be reminded that we are part of the culture. We always have been and we always will be, especially when the people reminding you of that are writers who are as smart and funny and ultimately as heartening as these are. And that's what's making me happy and spiteful and uh, heartened this week. Amen. And if you want links for what we recommended, plus some more recommendations, sign up for our newsletter at npr.org slash newsletter. And that brings us to the end of our show. Linda Holmes, Aisha Harris, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, buddy. Thank you. This episode was produced by Hafsa Fatima and Anna Isaacs and edited by Mike Katzif. Our supervising producer is Jessica Reedy. And Hello, Come In provides our theme music. Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Glenn Weldon, and we'll see you all next week. This message comes from NPR sponsor, the Capital One Venture X Card. Earn unlimited 2X miles on everything you buy. Plus, get access to a $300 annual credit for bookings through Capital One Travel. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. Details at CapitalOne.com. 
Support for this podcast and the following message come from the NPR Wine Club. NPR Wine Club members have contributed over $1.5 million to helping create a more informed public. B21, join the charge at nprwineclub.org slash podcast. Drake and Kendrick Lamar have been lobbing some serious accusations at each other. You've probably heard the diss tracks and wondered, what's just a low blow and what's actually criminal? I'm Brittany Luce, host of It's Been a Minute from NPR, and I'm getting into what's art and what's worthy of criminal investigation and who those accusations hurt the most on It's Been a Minute from NPR.